Well, again, we want to welcome you and thank you for, for being part of this service this morning. I, I want to start by, by saying this, that weekly, I, I, I want to talk about you being a generous people, because I believe Joliet First is a generous church. And so over this last week, I've watched around 15 volunteers give up their time to, to take time out of their busy days, go down to Edna Keith Elementary, and, and help our sponsored school. For those of you who are new, uh, we have started an initiative called Community. Spelled Come and then Unity. Uh, community. And we feel like it's our responsibility to be engaged with the, the community around us, the city around us. And so we have partnered with a, a school on... Uh, on Richard Street, I think it is, called Edna Keith Elementary. And we had folks this week who took people to the dental camp. We had people volunteer in the library. And Jim over here read uh, stories to the kids all day long. And the best part about Jim was he left his van running. He left his van running the whole time I was reading stories to the kids. I was so excited. He was so excited that he just, he said, where am I supposed to go? And he ran out without turning his car off. So, uh, but... Thank you guys. For those of you who have served this week, thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. And let me encourage those of you who have yet to be part of this, you are missing out and you need to be a part of changing lives. Amen. So let me start by this morning by saying this. Um, some of you may think that I like change. <laughs> but it's not so much that I think that I like change. I think that it's just, I've become accustomed to change over our life. Janelle and I have been married for uh, or roughly 12 years. I, I know that's not a long time in the grand scheme of things, but in those 12 years, we have moved uh, plenty of times, but four major moves uh, to four different states. To put it into perspective, my oldest Carter is five years old. Carter, who is five, has lived in four different states. Uh, so we've moved quite a bit in life, and um, it's been a lot of change for us. It's been good. Now, in those moves, there's always been transitions. We've never actually found a house right away. This was the first transition that went smoothly. Uh, and so we had some interesting transitions. I can remember uh, our first time as a youth pastor, our house wasn't ready yet, and so uh, we found our way into a camper for nearly a month. That's how miles happened. There's not a lot to do in camper. Uh, and then we uh, moved into this awesome cabin in the southern hills of Indiana for a few weeks. I can remember uh, when we moved to Topeka, when we moved to Topeka out there, somebody said, well, you can live in a rental home. And we're like, oh, that's great, you know? But they didn't tell us that it was in the ghetto. And little did I know that, that in the middle of the night, our drunk neighbor would be screaming obscenities at us, threatening to throw bricks through our windows. He was talking about Janelle, and I'm like, this is really inappropriate. This went on from midnight until like 6 in the morning. I was exhausted. Now, needless to say, we packed up and moved down the next day. Luckily, our house was ready by that time. <laughs> but I say all that to say that, that Janelle and I have, have experienced different places. Now, there are some that we really loved, and there are some that we vow we will never visit again. Ever, ever, ever again. Uh, and, and some of those towns that we lived in, they didn't small towns. Some of them only had one or two staff lines. And here's what I've learned about small towns. Small towns are, are very slow-paced, which I like. I like that about small They're very friendly. They're very welcome. Uh, there's just something about the fact that everybody knows each other. The problem also is that everybody knows each other's business. And one of the things that we've found is that unless you're 
from that community, you're welcome, but you're not really welcome. Do you know, you know what I'm saying? Unless you have family that's lived there their whole life, unless you grew up there, or unless you have friends that have welcomed you, uh, you're not really welcome. And so often we hear things in, in our journey like, uh, well, this is our town. I think there's like a country song written about that or something. But this is our town, or this is our church, which conveyed to us that, that it wasn't ours, that we weren't part of it. And so what I realized is over time there are always exceptions to something. Right? That is our culture. There is an exception to everything. Think about the last few weeks, right? The NCAA tournament has come out. And we have been debating who's in, who's out. And, and we sat around TV, some of us, I hate basketball. Basketball's for people that couldn't play football. But anyway, <laughs> some of us sat around TVs and watched who's going to make it in. And then we debate why some of the other teams didn't. Our politics recently have been about who's going to be in, who's going to be out, who's going to be the front runners. Think about when you were kids, you'd go to the amusement parks, right? Don't remember this. You'd go to get on a roller coaster ride. And the first thing you'd have to do was what? You'd have to toe up and stand up to the, the measuring stick and make sure you were tall enough that you wouldn't fall off the ride and die. So we had to, we had to, to meet the height standard. Then I think about peewee football. Every kid wants to be the running back. The problem is, every kid is not meant to be a running back. Somebody has to block for the running back. I also think about students. Where are my students this morning? Students, each of you, if you're like my parents, your parents have given you a dating age. And some of you don't like it, but they've given you a specific age. They feel like maybe you're mature enough to actually go on a date by yourself with somebody else. So you've been given a hey, hey, Some of us have a job interview, right? You have qualifications and expectations that you are supposed to meet. So I, I want, what I want you to hear in this is that in our culture, we have boundaries and categories that have shaped our culture from the beginning of time. That from the beginning of humanity, we have tried to determine who is in, who's out, who's clean, who's unclean, who's right, who's wrong. This is all a part of the creation conversations at the beginning of time. And so this morning, we have uh, this wonderful story that we're going to dive into uh, I'm assuming you would have expected me to read from Luke or the Resurrection story, but today we're going to be in Acts. And you'll understand why in a minute. But I need to tell you about the writer of the story. The writer Luke was once a, a doctor turned historian, and he set out to, to follow and, and discover this story of Jesus. Now, Luke wrote this book. I know it's going to be hard to believe, but he wrote the book of Luke. And he also wrote the book Acts, which will be in the day. No, not the Acts, the deodorant you wear that apparently affects women from all over. Uh, this is Acts, A-C-T-S. Um, <laughs> and so Luke, uh, this morning, paints his book with three different themes. Now, I want you to hear these themes. First, Luke is an outsider. He's not one of the twelve. And so whenever Luke writes in his, in his own book, he always portrays Jesus with people who are on the outside. People who are marginalized and not part of the culture or society. Jesus is always with those people, and Luke wants to tell us that. The other thing that he wants to tell us is that, that the table is extremely important. When Jesus is meeting with those who are, are poor and marginalized and not part of the society, he is always at a dinner table doing some miracles. And so whenever you turn to the book of Luke, Jesus is sitting down and eating 
And whenever he's eating, there's ministry. And whenever there's ministry, there are miracles that happen. And so this is kind of what Luke wants to tell us in this future. This is the this is the hope we have in the resurrection of Christ it's at the table where miracles happen. Lastly, the theme I want you to know is this. Is Luke writes the book of Acts to tell us about the, the acts, the actions, and the movement surrounding Jesus. Now understand this. Yes, people were drawn to Jesus, but what Acts is about is Jesus' new followers now being drawn into the acts, the actions, and the movement, what we call the church. And so, Luke wants to tell us this morning that that if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you have to be a, a part of the body of Christ. You see, the danger for people who claim to be God's people, but they, they neglect their need to gather weekly, is that they, they become shaped by the world rather than shaped by the, the community and the body of Christ. And this is a danger. So I don't know how to, to say it, but, but say it blatantly. Uh, here at Joliet First, we believe that you cannot be a Christian apart from the church. And here's why. Weekly, we gather to experience the resurrection. Weekly, we gather to experience the resurrection. For then we are thrust into our world to become a weekly presence of resurrection and images of what change and Christ's power and His love looks like in our lives to the lost. Y'all with me on this? This is why we gather weekly, that we can we can celebrate the, the resurrection of Christ and then go out and be resurrection to the world. Woo! I need to start preaching yet. Goodness gracious. <laughs> some of you all thought we were going to do a little sermonette to go home and eat some Easter ham. Sorry, we're at the wrong church this morning. Amen. <laughs> so this morning I want you to open to Acts 10. We're going to be in Acts 10, verse 34. Acts 10, verse 34. If you don't have a Bible, grab the one in front of you, on the pew. Believe it or not, they still make these things called books and Bible. But if you would like to use your phone or device, feel free to do it as well. Acts 10, 34. It says this, Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is, who is, Lord of all. If you have a pen with you, it's okay to write your Bible, circle that phrase, Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism of John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Then Peter says this, We are witnesses. We are witnesses of everything that happened in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Now hear this, he begins to profess what we believe. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. God was raised from the dead on the third day and was caused to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but witnesses of whom God had already chosen. By us, we ate and drank with them. Ah, the table. Here's Luke again telling us about the table. We ate and drank with them. After 
truth which he resurrected from the dead. He commanded us to preach and, and to tell people and to testify that, that the one who God appointed as judge of the, of the living dead and all the prophets testify about him. That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of our Lord. Well, this morning, I have to give you a backdrop to this message. We find that Peter is in Cornelius' home in Caesarea. Caesarea was this uh, rebuilt city by Herod the Great in memory of Augustus Caesar, who many believe was God himself. And so uh, we find Peter talking to Cornelius and his family. But the odd thing is this, is... We're going to learn about Cornelius in a minute, but the question that one should ask is, or any good Jew would ask is, why is Peter colluding with the enemy? Why is Peter in Caesarea? Why is Peter in a Gentile's home? I mean, don't you know that this would this law would make Peter unfit for the service of God? <laughs> I think God has a different plan for Peter this day. And so, this morning, in order to understand the message that's being preached by Peter this morning, we have to take a step back in the story to the beginning for just a few minutes. So let me tell you about Cornelius. Cornelius' name came from uh, the great Roman ruler Cornelius Sula, who was well known throughout that day for being a guy who freed over a thousand slaves during 82 BC. Now, I think Luke wants to tell us that because... Because that's quite fitting of the character of Cornelius, the Cornelius that we're introduced to in the story in Acts. Cornelius was was said to be a very devout and religious person, and so we find things that were said about him throughout the gospel. Here's what's said about Cornelius: one, he was devout. He was devout to God. He wasn't a little uncertain on who this God was, but he was devout to God. The other thing is, is Luke labels him a God-fearer. Now, often when we hear that word, we think that refers to anybody who calls themselves a Christian. But Luke's reference of God-fearers refers to those who weren't Jewish. In fact, they refer to the Gentiles who participated in the practices of the Jewish faith. They call them God-fearers. The other thing that we learn about Cornelius in this story is that Cornelius is extremely generous. He's extremely charitable and he gives plenty of donations to the poor. He cares for the poor. Which is a sign in the Old Testament that somebody is faithful to God. The other thing that we learn is that he believes in the power of prayer. He believes that it's important to talk to God. I love what Dr. McCain said recently is that God is more excited to talk to you than you are willing to listen. And so we find that Cornelius text is that, that God wants to speak with him, and so he has this connection with him. The other thing we have to learn about Cornelius too is that he was respected among Jews. Now I forgot to tell you this, but Cornelius was a Roman centurion. Cornelius was responsible for a hundred soldiers. And I find it odd that he was respected among the Jewish people. I mean, think about this. The Romans didn't have the greatest reputation back in the day. And they were known to hang people on trees when you didn't disagree with what they had to say. But the fact that this man was respected by the Jews tells us that Cornelius has already postured himself in humility and reverence and fear of God. Which is so interesting. 
Because this is what we believe in the church of the Nazarene, is that, that God can work in any situation, that He is already working in people's lives, even when they don't know it. We call that God's prevenient grace. The grace that meets us before Him. So now, you know all about Cornelius. Let me go back. I missed one part. So Cornelius has this vision, right? He has this vision in his prayer time with God, and God tells him, he says, I need you. I need you to send out three people to go get this guy named Simon. He's also known by Peter. Now Peter's staying with this other guy named Simon the Tanner. And I love how Luke tells us about Simon the Tanner, because that's essential to the story. So there we are with Cornelius. So we find Peter living with the Tanner. Now this is, this is not necessarily a good thing. In fact, Simon's house was, was known to be outside the city gates because of the stench of killing all these animals and tearing the hides. And many believe that this was kind of like an unclean profession. And so the fact that Peter's staying with this guy tells us that he's staying with somebody who socially is not acceptable. But I believe that God has Peter staying with this guy Simon, the tanner at this point, because he's about to do something in Peter's life that Peter wasn't ready for. And so we find Peter in Joppa. We'll get to the story of why he was there in a minute. But Peter's just south of Cornelius, and uh, he's deciding that he's going to go to the city to Jerusalem, but besides during this time, he wants to pray at noon. Now, we all know that at 12 o'clock, which I'll have you out in time for, uh, that is time to meet. It is not time for prayer. But you got to imagine, in the Middle East, it's hot, he's probably famished, but Peter decides he's going to go for prayer. And so probably hungry and probably a little tired and sweaty, he begins to pray. And he has this crazy vision. I love it. The, the, the sheep is let down. Now you have to understand, the sheep that's being let down out of the heavens is not like the sheep that you would sleep on. It's not the sheets that you know you would put on a bed or that you get in a hotel. But rather the word that's used there is that this is a fine linen. This is an expensive piece of cloth that is used for a special occasion. And so they believe that, that this cloth being let down was a table. That's an interesting part of the story. You'll understand why here in a second. But in the tablecloth that's being let down, Peter sees animals and birds and reptiles, which, if you know anything about Jewish Levitical law, you'll know that in the sheep are clean and unclean animals. But the odd part is, is that as God drops the sheep down, all the animals are touching and they're mixed up. Which means that all the clean animals are now unclean because they've touched unclean animals. So there are no clean animals in the sheep. And I love what God says to Peter. He says, Give up Kill and eat. And Peter's like, wait, this is like a trick question, right, God? I mean, you're joking. I mean, I know the law. I'm not allowed to eat anything unclean. You've got to be kidding me. And so three times there's this, there's this debate back and forth between God and Peter. And Peter keeps saying to him, I will not eat the mess that you have provided to me. Now, those are my words, but that's what Peter's saying to God. I will not eat this mess. I will, eat, I will not eat an unclean table. And it's as though God says to Peter, He says, do you, do, you, do you think you're running this show? Y'all have had those moments, right? Do you think you're running this show, Peter? I mean, do you think that you are God? Listen to me, Peter. You are not the one who is at the table of the new age, the new age and the resurrected Christ. 
So get up and eat this food that I've provided for you. Now I love the language of get up. Many of you don't know why I love this language, but, but there's an irony in this language that Jesus uses, because, or that God uses, because as I told you, he was in Joppa, but he was in Joppa for a reason. Peter was in Joppa for a reason. There was a lady named Dorcas. I mean, why would you name me? Why would you name your kid Dorcas? Is the odd name. But, but Peter was summoned to the whole of Dorcas, also known as Tabitha. We'll call her Tabitha because I don't know how many times I can say Dorcas. But Tabitha has passed away. She's, she's dead. And she's being prepared to bury her. And so they ask Peter to come inside, and he goes up to this room and he kneels beside he, he kneels beside Tabitha's bed and he says, Tabitha, get up. Get up. And it's amazing. Resurrection happens in this moment. This lady was dead now. But the irony that now Peter is meeting with God, and God is saying to him, Get up, Peter! You need a resurrection. And as I said earlier, this is why we gather weekly at the bodies, because we are in need of weekly resurrection. We are in need of daily resurrection. Think about the significance as you go to sleep, as you enter into the dark, and you dawn with the light of the new day. It is a reminder that the God has freed you from the power and slavery of death. Amen. Yes! This is exciting. I'm excited about this. Can you tell? Uh, I'm so excited that I've lost my place. That's okay. So Peter gets up in this resurrection moment and there are three men waiting for him. Cornelius' men have come to get Peter. I can tell that you're really excited about the story you're on the edges of your seat, so <laughs> listen to what happens. The next day, Peter started out with these men. Some of the believers from Joppa went along. And the following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, and love this, Cornelius met him, fell at his knees in reverence. I think that Cornelius doesn't get no Jesus, but he recognizes the power of Jesus in other people. And so he bows down before Peter, but Peter says, Dude, get up. I'm just a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and he found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You all are aware, look, you all are aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with any Gentile. You know, but God, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for you, it's now bragging, I came without raising any objection. Here I am. May I ask what you sent me for? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send for Simon, who is called Peter. He is guest of the home of Simon the Tanner, who lived by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. 
Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Whew, talk about receptivity. I wish our people were this receptive every Sunday morning. I mean, he is poised and ready to hear the word of God. He's not snoozing in the backseat of a pew. He's excited about what Peter's about to tell him. So then we see what, what Peter said. We've already read it this morning. He begins to say that I now realize how true God does not show favoritism, but he accepts every nation. And the one who fears and does what is right. This is the good news of peace of Jesus Christ, who is what you should have circled earlier, Lord of all. So Peter goes on and he begins to say, We saw Jesus on the cross, we saw him raised from the dead. We ate at the new table of the new age with Jesus Christ. And so we skip down to verse 44, part that we haven't read. It says, well, Peter was still speaking these words. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, came on all those who heard this message. Those of Peter, the circumcised believers, who had come with them, were astonished at the gift of the Holy Spirit. That that would be poured out on Gentiles. For they, heard, they began to speak in tongues and began to praise God. Then Peter said to them, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. So they received the Holy Spirit as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of our resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ. Can you see it this morning? Do you see what has happened God has changed the trajectory of this world. This meeting that took place literally has changed the world. It has changed the world and how we live. If it weren't for Peter and Cornelius being obedient to God, we would not know Christ. Amen. Cornelius is the first Gentile Christian, the biggest, the first Roman Christian that we see in history. His family have all come to commit to Christ. And so everything has been flipped upside down. A Roman centurion, a Jesus-following Jew, a new tablecloth that descends from heaven. This precious tablecloth. And it's as though God has said, eat from the meal that I have provided. You are all welcome. Forget the Levitical laws. The law of love has been instituted through Christ. Forgive the unclean, because all have been made clean through the power of the resurrection. This is the beauty, and I love it. Peter says, no longer are there barriers to baptism. You see the significance that, that all who believe are called to, to be plunged underneath the water, to put to death the old life, and then we are called and raised to the new life in Christ. That is what baptism signifies. And so we find that Jesus is put to death, the old life, because of the resurrection. And Jesus becomes Lord of all. So here's what I want you to know this morning. Resurrection means there are no required exceptions to dine at the king's table of grace. I'll say that again for my little kids who are taking the notes and showing the parents how to take notes. Thank you, Lord, for providing examples of what it means to, to follow and participate. 
Resurrection means there are no required exceptions to the dinner at the king's table grace. So this is a revolutionary, monumental moment where the world has been flipped upside down. Now hear this. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. The world has been flipped upside down. And you're saying, well, how, Brad? It doesn't look any different. Listen to what uh, Taylor read this morning. Who do we find at Jesus' tomb early that morning? The women. Who does Luke name in this gospel? All the women that were present as Jesus reveals himself to the world. See, some of us don't get it, but, but the disciples were full of exceptions. Left Jesus, he kind of rode in on a donkey. And then when you got to Jerusalem, the whole nation kind of rejected you. Not only that, you died on the cross. It doesn't really look like you're the king. And what did they do? There's not a disciple to be found around Jesus' cross. Because they had exceptions of what the king should look like. And he didn't meet those expectations. But the women knew. The women knew. And see, this is so revolutionary because the women of this day in the first century were like the lowlifes. They were untrusted. Hearing it in his gospel, they didn't even believe what they had to say about Jesus being resurrected. It would be like somebody saying the Cubs are going to win the World Series this year. You're like, yeah, right. Definitely not. I know it gets some weight on that one. So I think in many ways, the disciples, we like to call them that, because it's not very bright at times, who spent three years with Jesus missed out on what God was doing. Meanwhile, the women who go to the cross, who then see Jesus as the resurrection, are the ones who receive the new life right away. And what I love is, this is just my thought, but I think God knew that, that women were the only, only ones smart enough to understand the depth of the resurrection. <laughs> women are very deep. They understand the nuances of life, and, and there's a lot of nuances to the resurrection that are difficult to be under, you know, it's, it's hard to understand for many of us. But I think God chose women because they knew these ladies will get it. The men will just let them go play golf or watch football or something. Listen to this this morning that everywhere we go, there are exceptions, there are statuses, there are qualifications that all of us are called to meet, except in the kingdom of God, where you are embraced with open arms. There are no exceptions. But I want you to hear this there is an agreement. There's a difference between the two. Exceptions are, are, are what one party puts on another without agreeing on, whereas agreements are where two parties come together to negotiate something on a specific course or action. Listen, the first part of the, the, the arrangement has already been made. The sacrifice of the cross has been made for you. And so we see throughout this story this morning that belief is essential. That believe in the resurrected Lord is essential to be a follower. And that doesn't mean that because of the resurrection we just look forward to where we're going to go someday. But as we said earlier, that the resurrected life begins now when you say yes to Christ. That daily you are resurrected with the power, the same power that resurrected Jesus, now moves you into your everyday life. Amen. 
So for those of you who are muddling through, oh, oh, I'm a Christian. You are a poor example of what God has called us to be. <coughs> we are called to be vibrant, thriving, and alive. And in many ways, we can only do that as long as we gather together as a body and encourage one another. I don't know how else to say it. I want you to hear this before you go. The power of the resurrection means that we are bound to the promise of God to reconcile all things, to forgive all things, to go all places, so that in the face of division, we can proclaim that Jesus is Lord of all. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let me pray for you. Lord, we give thanks for this day. We give thanks for this time that you have you have conquered death this morning. Lord, we want to be welcomed into the new age. We want to drink of the new wine that you have provided. This is an exciting time for us, Lord. And so, Lord, this morning, if we've heard anything, I pray that, that we as worshipers hear that there are no exceptions in the kingdom of God, but that everyone is accepted. Lord, we thank you that you are not a God who who pushes people away, but rather welcomes the lowly and the poor, the women, the centurions, and the Gentiles. Lord, thank you for creating a space at the table for us, your sinners, who have now been made clean because of your sacrifice, because of the resurrection. We love you so much, and we thank you.